0: So, we are going to move on. You can have that conversation um, further later, and perhaps uh, there's some food for thought there. Um, Hopefully, Pauline and I might be able to give you um, a little bit of insight into um, our own stories and um, a little bit of insight into uh, the role of music in in our intimacy with God um, and with one another. Um, So, as Steve said, over the past few weeks, we've heard from all female speakers, no less, Mm. (laughs) um, about the first two of our five eyes. Um, And uh, so, we are going to look at this topic of intimacy with God um, through the lens of music and culture, which is pretty daunting, I have to say. Um, And we are quite aware we'll probably be skimming the surface a little bit, But we do hope it spurs on some conversations um, for us as individuals together, um, but also, thank you Nathan for bringing me a battery supply so my laptop doesn't cut out, Um, but also a conversation for us as a church together. Um, So I'm going to start by sharing, it's in the back. Um, I'm going to start by sharing two ways that I understand music help facilitate uh, this intimacy that we talk about. Um, I'm going to talk about it personally through my own experience and um, for us corporately as a church. Um, So as I'm telling a bit of my story, I thought um, it was suitable to go back to near the beginning of mine with a video. Oh, there's no sound.
1: come on in next night Jesus So deep, uh, so deep, you can't get under it, so wide, can't
0: get around it Oh, one for So this is me, <laughs> as a three-year-old, being readily primed by my father in the art of music leading. Um, I'm sure you recognise some of the techniques I employed there. Um, the ability, or rather, the inability to read lyrics that are in front of me—I <laughs> really struggle with—and um, the rather unsubtle cues from the side of the stage, <coughs> Steve. <coughs> um, but um, I think I've at least moved on from my feral stage and have my face slightly cleaner these days. Um, the the singing in that video definitely carries on for at least four minutes longer. So I'm—I was uh, used to the stage from a young age. Um, And uh, I I must say, giving a talk is quite a lot more nerve-wracking than uh, singing, but we'll get on to singing later. Um, So music is a big part of my day-to-day, as uh, my colleagues here in the church team would testify, I'm rarely without some kind of tune to be humming in the office most minutes of the day, and it's a characteristic they find particularly endearing. Although the reprimand of Shut Up Mari's" from Nathan is uh, the exception. Um, I'm, an, I'm a musician. It's in my blood and my nature. I have a father who is both an incredible oboist, classical musician and musical director in church environments. A mother whose labour of love, sacrifice and support pushed me into experiencing every kind of musical opportunity growing up and three siblings who are vastly talented in music and other pursuits. I've certainly never been short of inspiration nor competition. (laughs) It's also true I'm never short of a critic or two or three or five, (laughs) although I must admit I am probably harshest on myself. Um, So many of you will have seen me um, do different types of music. I play the piano. Um, I do a bit of singing, leading the choirs here, and I'm part of the team who facilitate the services and leads music here. Um, I also love to sing jazz, when Jerry, uh, Gareth and Dave will have me. Um, And uh, I uh, also, um, one of the things uh, that you may have seen me do, but um, I'm not sure, is I play the cello. And actually growing up, that was my first love. Um, I was, uh, it was mandatory that I was in every kind of choir, orchestra, ensemble, band. Um, Those of you who um, are also musicians will probably know what that is like through school. Um, And I've also had some amazing uh, opportunities for solos. Um, I then went on and studied music, actually, uh, just around the corner at King's College London. I would use this opportunity to just sell my cello services for any weddings or anything. But um, with my 10th wedding coming up and my fourth bridesmaid duty of the year, um, I've probably had my fill. So talk to me in 2018. Um, As I've grown up, it's become increasingly clear that for me, being a musician is about so much more than the performance or even the music itself. Since being born... I've sat in churches, cathedrals, concerts, services, festivals, rehearsals, university, and I've heard and participated in debate after debate about music. Classical versus contemporary, sacred versus secular, intention versus interpretation, technique versus musicality, piano versus guitar. I'm sure there isn't much dispute that music provides an incredible function in terms of evoking emotion and connecting us together. After all, just look at the football crowds where chants and melodies rouse and cheer people in their masses. I've been told I shouldn't sing the Christian Benteke chant anymore. Uh, But beyond an emotional experience, I believe that music is inherently spiritual. On uh, Radio 4's Desert Island Disc this week, composer Sir James Macmillan was quoted, and it's on the screen for you. I do believe that music is the most spiritual of the arts. It forges this connection with the hidden crevices between the relationship of the divine and the human. It gets into those cracks and seems to speak directly to our dark, secret selves. We don't know exactly what it is saying, but we know it's relating to something about our humanity. Music allows us to open a window onto the divine, and we can choose to look in or not. For me, playing feels as though the instrument becomes an extension of who you are, communicating something more than words will allow That goes whether you are performing as a soloist or as an ensemble. Music can permeate any barriers and differences between you when you play together. With connection and participation integral to this. In these moments, I experience an intimacy with God. A moment of real transformation, however big or small. It is our soul connecting our spirit being lifted, a transcendence when we connect with our creator. Our very being is compelled to see or feel the presence of God, which immerses us. I find this can manifest particularly in two responses. One, a moment of revelation, of clarity, a pull from the Holy Spirit, which drives me to see the world around me and be dissatisfied, and want to see change. And two, a deep sense of God's peace and stillness. Either way, it's a moment of transformation, of glimpsing God, of feeling challenge, of being inspired, of being healed. Here at Oasis Church Waterloo, we sometimes heard this described as a thin moment, an intimacy with God. And we, in turn, can respond, allowing ourselves to become more exposed, more vulnerable, more ready to accept God's love for us, and more ready to follow him. As a person who finds it quite difficult to be vulnerable, music provides a space in which I can express that. I experience such transformations through different types of music from classical to jazz to pop, and I could have chosen any number of pieces as an example of this, uh, with or without words. But for me, when I know I need to be still, to rest my mind, my thoughts, my soul, I will actually often listen to choral music, sacred or secular, but music written to be performed in magnificent spaces. And often reminds us of the majesty of God. I find real sanctuary and peace in this genre. And I'm often left awe-inspired if I've experienced a performance. Um, So I'm going to play a short bit of sacred choral music to you. It's a piece called uh, Lux Arumque by Eric Whitaker, who's an American composer. Surprisingly, he's not from a religious background, but he writes a huge amount of sacred uh, music as well as secular music. Some argue this compromises the authenticity of the music and its meaning, but I think authenticity can lie in the ear of the listener. Um, The title of this particular piece literally translates as Light and Gold, and it's a setting of a poem by Edward Esch which describes the birth of Jesus. Um, The lyrics are in Latin, but uh, it translates, uh, light, warm and heavy as pure gold, and the angels sing softly to the newborn babe. As you listen, you may notice the timbre of the music, the slow homophonic texture, which means things often move together and the dissonance of the harmonies throughout. I think this dissonance is always seeking a resolution and it keeps the listener interested and engaged in where the piece is going. And it challenges us by never quite moving harmonically where we think it perhaps should. It gives a haunting mystical anticipation and often a wash of sound, which for me, appears to fall in waves over the listener as the dynamics rise and fall. When listening to to this, if I close my eyes, the image that it conjures is of total darkness and then kind of round the edges, the light beginning to seep in. And I find it both incredibly soothing in its nature and and really compelling to um, just transport me out of the time and space that I'm in. So let's listen. There is a moment of silence to begin, which is part of the anticipation. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I'm sure most of us have some music, perhaps the piece you talked about with your neighbour earlier, um, perhaps in a different genre or setting that evokes similar experiences for us as individuals Interestingly, um, Whitaker, the composer, is known for establishing virtual choirs to sing his work, um, so videos which are of 185 different people across 12 different countries that are pieced together to produce that, that work. Um, a Telegraph writer described it as bringing a spiritual shimmer to the cold technology of cyberspace. I enjoyed hearing about this, as I am such a strong believer that our worship of God is about being in community. Whilst we can only ever have our personal experience, we are continually shaped and nurtured by the community in which we inhabit. And our search for intimacy with God shouldn't be exclusive of this. As a musician, you're continually connected and reliant upon those that you are playing with, communicating through the music and responding to the others around you. This can either be stressful or fun, depending on your peers. Um, Obviously, it's only ever fun when we play together here. Either way, it is necessary that for trust to be built, inevitably, you are connected to those you are making music with, both fellow musicians and Our congregation. So when we gather for corporate worship, for us in the form of a Sunday service or similar, we essentially become that ensemble, a chorus, participating in a physical, spiritual discipline together that binds us. We aren't necessarily unified by taste, preference of genre, or vocal ability but by the very act of participating with the desire to connect with God and one another. For many of us, it's the only time in our week that we may sing or take part in any kind of communal act. The practice of singing in corporate worship is inherently spiritual, and the intention to participate gives it authenticity. In fact, Some of my most profound experiences of God have been taking part in choirs or ensembles, um, or often when leading music here, being able to look out at the congregation and connect with people and hear everybody joining in song, I find really powerful and really joyful. In fact, many musicians would claim they feel they're closest to God when when they are playing and most connected with one another. Um, And for us as musicians particularly, but, but us as a whole ensemble, that feeling of fun and joy is so important. Theologian Brian McLaren writes, singing is so familiar in our churches that I fear we are missing what a miracle it is. First, singing involves our bodies. It's incredibly physical. Second, it involves our souls, our hearts, minds, volition, all that is within me, in the words of the psalmist. Third, it involves a text. Fourth, it involves a score or musical arrangement. Fifth, that score engages instruments. Sixth, it often involves parts or harmonies. Finally, it involves other people. Many voices, one song. Think of it. Bodies and souls, people and instruments, texts and notes, men and women and children, Republicans or Democrats, liberals and conservatives, somehow coming together in the miracle of song or hymn. Figuratively, as literally, songs harmonize us, which is why they are such an important communal spiritual practice. Understanding this corporate expression of worship is something that is intimate. giving giving us grounding for a broader perspective of spirituality. I think we have to be careful not to confuse intimacy with God with just a weekly immersive musical experience which has made us feel good or where we can get our fill. One critique I hear of churches, and I've heard it of this church quite often, is that they just don't feel very spiritual. The inference here for me, often reflects the preference of the individual who's said that, that perhaps they're more used to uh, an extended time of worship, or they would prefer a ministry time, or, or things that we, we've picked up from other settings. And whilst I think there can be great value in that, I think we need to be cautious of purely connecting our spirituality with having an experience, In fact, it's the interplay between all of these things in our Sunday services, of our use of music, of prayers, of challenging conversation, of deepening our theology, of pushing for social justice, that gives it authenticity and is that spirituality. Our use and inclusion of music is indeed to help unify us, to provide a way we can all actively participate, as well as to provoke a connection with God. And it sits alongside these other components to help facilitate that.
1: Thank you, Flick. Um, Um, I just want to carry on from uh, what Flick has started. Thank you for that. That was absolutely excellent. And she reminded us of the importance of music, the importance of music in terms of our intimacy with God. Um, And if I just remind us of the core value that we're reflecting on today. Um, it's we, are, we believe that we are created for relationship with God. We are called to reflect this through every part of our lives, in our habits, our actions, as we follow and serve Jesus day by day, as well as in our regular worship together. What I want to do is to focus, as Flicks did, uh, a little bit on my own relationship with God, and the the role that music had in that for me, um, but also offer some thoughts about our regular worship together. I grew up in East London in the um, 1970s, I was a teenager, and music had a profound impact on me. As a young black female, Christian music was a core component in terms of connecting me to God. Like Flick, I trained as a classical musician. But I, se- I felt a certain amount of disconnect with this music. I didn't feel that I could really own it. Now, as an adult, I have a great appreciation of classical music. But back then, the music that really excited me was music that came from the UK black British gospel industry. I came from a strict Pentecostal family, and those of you who know about Caribbean Pentecostal families, I wasn't allowed to engage in secular entertainment. That was from the devil. So I was thrilled and inspired by the jazz, and jazz funk, and reggae sounds that were emerging in the 1980s with black gospel bands like Kenos and Paradise. I also listened to white music from the Jesus Movement, like Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, and others, and African-American artists such as Andre Crouch and Danny Bell. But it was music from the black UK gospel industry that really enlivened my passions. I realized that it was possible to engage with music that was funky, danceable, and remind me of spiritual truths and deepen my understanding with God. The scene, I went to concerts nearly every weekend, And the scene provided for me a social network that was credible, comfortable, and it gave me a sense of pride. My relationship with music was no doubt similar to that of my non-Christian peers. The difference for me was that this music helped to establish my identity as a young black Christian and connected me with others whom um, I could have fellowship. I have no doubt that it was involvement in this scene that helped keep me on track as a young Christian. This music connected me vertically and horizontally and established an identity for me. So I've always been passionate about the role that music has played in my Christian life. And if I can just give you a flavor of some of that music, it is the polar opposite to Flicks. (laughs) Right. I also realized from being involved with this music that music is very divisive. I had adolescent battles with my father over listening to this music. I used to play it at a full vo- volume just to annoy him. He was really irritated by this, and he perceived this as worldly music. There was drums, there were guitars, there were bass. This was music from the devil as far as he was concerned. He didn't understand why I couldn't connect with the Jim Reeves that he so loved. Um, for me, what was a tremendous sense of liberation and joy, for him, was the cacophony of noise and the sound of my teenage rebellion. The link between Christianity and music is indisputable. Much of the history of Western art music is music that was written for the church. This rich musical heritage of church music is firmly bound up in Western culture. But it's the same music from this tradition that was used as a tool of empire. During the colonial period in Africa, hymns were used as a means of cultural domination in evangelizing Africans, who in many cases were not allowed to sing their own music and weren't allowed to sing in their indigenous tongues. In our modern age, there's another type of cultural domination, Some churches have engaged in what are referred to in the States as the worship wars, where ministers, worship leaders, and congregations battle over whether they sing hymns or popular choruses. Of course, we have no such battles in this church. Today, we have a contemporary Christian music industry, which in many ways isn't dissimilar to the secular music industry, insofar as there are charts, award shows, stars, and a good deal of commerce. And although this industry isn't terribly reflective of the communities that it serves, it is possible to travel the world over and hear the same songs sung in the same way, whether you're in Sydney or in South Africa. However, the way in which we use music and abuse music doesn't negate its role as a communicator. Music is a powerful communicator. It communicates on a number of different levels. The words, the music, where it comes from, how it's performed, who is performing it, when it's performed, how the musicians look, what instruments they're playing. So how we weigh and judge music is terribly difficult. It's hard to avoid our own subjective feelings and tastes. What's good music? What's bad music? How do we judge? For my father, Jim Reeves was the thing that engendered his intimacy with God. For me, it was bands like Paradise that we heard earlier. Um, for Flick, it was the, the track that she played. So while it might be easy to navigate our own personal tastes with our music, how do we do that in community together? Um, what? How do we? Given that music is so diverse, how do we? navigate our music together in a diverse community? How do we ensure that our singing together demonstrates intimacy with God and intimacy with each other, given our different cultural backgrounds? Is it even possible that music can fulfill such a task? Flick, Nathan and the team, they do a tremendous job week by week leading us through this process, selecting the songs, deciding how they're going to be sung, who is going to be singing them. And I don't think we should be afraid, though, of interrogating how we do things. What do we sing? Why do we sing? When do we sing? Who sings? How do we communicate? What does our singing together say about our fellowship together? Inclusivity is one of the key values that's um, highlighted in this church, and we heard about that this morning. But inclusivity in all of its elements, race, gender, gender culture, age. How can this inclusivity be demonstrated through how we sing together, what we do in our worship together on a Sunday morning? This is a really difficult thing to do, I think, and I don't purport to have any easy answers. However, I am inspired by a model of music which I believe demonstrates intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. It's Black History Month, so I'm going to take the opportunity to talk about the spirituals of the African-American slaves. The slave trade existed between the 16th and the 19th century between North America, Africa, and the Caribbean. People from Central and West Africa were taken from their homelands and sold to the highest bidder into a life of servitude, often experiencing a humiliating and brutal existence. Africans came with their own traditions, their own religious traditions. Um, And at the start of the trade, slave owners weren't keen to evangelize the Africans because they feared that this might mean emancipation and they didn't want to jeopardize their economic interests. However, as time wore on, in order to justify this brutal industry, it was claimed that the trade was necessary to convert the Africans from their pagan ways. Clergy also taught that Christianity would make better slaves. They would be more loyal. The scriptures were even used to support this. A a catechism for the Africans in 1787 demonstrates this. The question was asked of the Africans. When Negroes are converted, how must they behave towards their masters? The answer the Africans were told to give... In many places, Scripture commands them to be honest, diligent and faithful in all things and not to give impertinent answers. And even when they are whipped, after having done well, to accept it with patience and to count on God for their rewards. In time, some slaves converted to Christianity And in many cases, their day-to-day existence improved because of this. Slave masters were beholden to allow baptism, the right to a Sabbath, church marriage, and the right to gather for the purposes of worship. And it was this right to gather for the purposes of worship that African slaves started to write these spirituals. And they realized that the God of the Bible was an advocate of freedom, and they wrote many songs demonstrating this. One that I really love is steal away to Jesus. You may well know it. The words are steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home. I ain't got long to stay here. Um, And we've got a, let me just play a bit of that. It's not my suggestion that we start singing these songs, but what I think is um, exciting about this, this uh, genre of music is these songs crossed borders. Um, they crossed. So get onto my next slide. They crossed sacred and spiritual space. These songs they were used as worship songs, but they were also code words for planning escape routes from slavery in the North. To freedom in the south. These songs were dangerous. They played a key subversive role in communicating that a plan was afoot to flee the slave master's house. So steal away to Jesus wasn't just about encountering an intimacy with, with God. It was actually, there's a plan tonight. Some of us are getting out of here. So they demonstrated trust and reliance of a close community they were also a cry to God from a place of suffering. They communicated intimacy with God, intimacy with, our, with each other. These songs had spiritual relevance as well as sociopolitical practicality. There was no divide between the sacred and the secular. The, the, the slaves were forced to give relevant this, their songs' relevancy in the real world. These songs also crossed borders of race and ethnicity. And they have become a cult- lasting cultural artifact. This image here is of the Fisk Jubilee Singers. In 1871, they are a group of African American students from Fisk University. This is a historically black college in Nashville that opened in 1866, soon after the abolition of slavery in 1863. It was the first U.S. university to offer a liberal arts education to people irrespective of. A year after opening, the co- college ran into financi- financial difficulties. The school treasurer and professor of music, white northern missionary by the name of George L. White, brought together a group of singers who sang and toured the spirituals in order to raise funds for their college. This group were instrumental in bringing the spirituals to the attention of the white world. This these mu- This music cross-geographical borders. The Fisk Jubilee Singers were tremendously successful, performing in England, the US, and Europe, to parliamentarians and royalty. Queen Victoria liked them so much that she commissioned their portrait for the New York Library. These, The, the Fisk Jubilee Singers and the, the spirituals cross-borders of cultural expectation, in a context where the only black entertainment consisted of black based minstrels, the Fisk Jubilee Singers offered an artistically excellent product that defined the expectations of white mainstream society. So I contend that this notion of border crossing is important in considering our worship together. How we work out, I think our, our challenge is twofold. How do we work out questions of Style, value, authenticity, identity in a diverse community which allows us to connect in a meaningful way while at the same time crossing borders and exposing us to the world of the other. We may sing together, which may or may not be of our taste. But what does the act of singing together demonstrate of our worship life in this community? Earlier, we had Amos 5 read to us. I think that's a very hard-hitting passage. Um, I'll read this section of it again. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your hymns, but let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like a never-ever-flowing stream. This passage seems to connect that there was a, seems to suggest that there was a disconnect between the music and the social values. While the, the, the music perhaps did reflect an identity, it didn't cross the borders of the spiritual the spiritual into the political and the social. So how do we cross borders of difference? to ensure that our worship together, our singing together, reflects intimacy with God, with each other, and reaches out towards our our social and political worlds and challenge the mainstream. The other section that we heard earlier as well, that we cannot love God if we don't love our brother. So it's terribly important that we sing together. Our singing is the icing on the cake, you know, that underneath that... There are deep connections that reflect us, reflect us as a community in all of our diversity and and reflect our relationship with God and what we want to serve him. Our singing needs to, to demonstrate our intimacy with God and our intimacy with each other in a deep and meaningful way like the spirituals did. Thank you.